0: Are Israeli defense officials vulnerable to being arrested and tried in the International Criminal Court in The Hague? That's the issue we focus on today. Certain advocates of the judicial reform being pushed by Prime Minister Netanyahu and his coalition government, like the Kohelet Policy Forum, dismiss such concerns as being baseless. Turns out that position doesn't really stand up to scrutiny. We turn to international law practitioner and expert, Daniel Reisner, who represents prominent Israelis and global clients on matters related to BDS and, yes, the International Criminal Court. I'm Vivian Berkovich, former Canadian ambassador to Israel, and today, a true Tel Avivian, living in the amazing state of Tel Aviv. Stay with us for Reisner's sharp, deeply informed commentary, as to why judicial reform is of concern to so many Israeli security officials, present and past. In an opinion piece published in the Jerusalem Post on July 21st and entitled, Arguments About Judicial Reform, ICC, Are Legally Baseless, Kohelet Policy Forum International Law Director, Eugene Kontorovich stated unequivocally that this issue is, well, a non-issue. I knew this to be a more complex matter than the way in which Kontorovich presented it, so I turned to Daniel Reisner, a top international lawyer who I have known for a decade. He is brilliant and best in class. Reisner peels the onion, explaining why IDF officials are, contrary to Kontorovich's assertion, very vulnerable to international prosecution. This is not an issue about which Israel can be fuzzy and sloppy. Quite the opposite. Reisner's practice is a dream, for me anyways. He represents governments, individuals, and corporations in all manner of legal disputes and situations that involve Israel's national interests. Among those, of course, is any vulnerability that Israel or its senior military security, or political officials may have to being arrested by the International Criminal Court. In the opinion piece mentioned a moment ago, Professor Konturovich argues that any suggestion that Israeli officials may be vulnerable to arrest and prosecution by the International Criminal Court is unfounded and nonsense. Konturovich writes, and I quote, the often heard claim is that the Supreme Court is a legal Iron Dome against hostile international lawfare. The arguments, he continues, about judicial reform and the ICC are legally baseless, and worse, confer on the biased and weak body in The Hague, a legitimacy it does not deserve. Professor Kontorovich continues, stating further on in the piece, as follows, and I read, Those who drafted the petition to refuse military service pretend the ICC is interested in judicial issues and produces unbiased decisions. In fact, The Hague continues its investigations with no legal basis, simply because hostility to Israel is baked into its founding convention, using it as a boogeyman domestic political disputes undermines Israel's categorical rejection of that tribunal's authority. It is important to note that Professor Kontorovich is an enthusiastic proponent of the controversial judicial reform being advocated by the coalition government led by Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. And a big issue associated with that reform is the concern that once all is said and done, the Israeli judicial system will no longer be perceived by its international peers to be independent, that the judiciary will be totally politicized and lack independence. Why is this so important? Because the high regard in which the Israeli judiciary and judicial system are held internationally is critical in protecting its citizens from mendacious Legal proceedings. Professor Konturovich disregards this concern as nonsense, a boogeyman, a phantom fear. It is interesting to note as well that so many of the proponents of this high risk legal position, both working at the Kohelet Policy Forum and in senior roles in the coalition government, have never served a day in the Israel Defense Forces. For those who have served and continue to volunteer to do so, This is much more than an academic exercise. So I turn to Daniel Reisner, who is really a peerless international law expert, particularly in matters relating to prosecution of Israeli defense and security officials. Listen in as he explains why the fear of prosecution is no phantom. It's no boogeyman. It's real and immediate. Reisner comments on particular cases And states clearly that however correct an academic analysis may be, the way the ICC sees it, there is a risk of Israeli officers and generals and politicians being prosecuted in the International Criminal Court. Full stop. There is the way things should be, and then there is reality. Stay with us for this fascinating and brief discussion. Daniel Reisner, so good to speak with you, and thank you for making time to join State of Tel Aviv today.
1: A pleasure to be here, Vivian. Looking forward to this.
0: Super. So you are a partner in a large law firm in Israel, and your specialty, of course, among many, one of them is international law and the International Criminal Court, correct? Yes. Okay. Guilty of charge. Oh, dear. All right. We're off to a great start here. (laughs) So we have a lot going on in Israel these days. And one of the issues that has been written about and discussed recently is the fact that Israeli soldiers and or reservists or former soldiers or generals or anybody may be vulnerable or susceptible to arrest, trial, prosecution by the International Criminal Court. Is that true? Okay, so first of all, that's a really
1: important question, Vivian, because many people are saying lots of things about this issue, and most of what is being said is not fully accurate. Okay, let me start by saying that if the world were a fair, unbiased, non-political, legal playing field, the answer would be Israel can't be the subject of proceedings before the international criminal court, because Israel, just like the United States, for example, is not a member of the court. And usually in international law, international law only applies to you if you accept it. Right. However, the international criminal court actually has jurisdiction in one of, and bear with me here, one of four factual scenarios. Okay. Scenario number one is if the perpetrator of the alleged offense is from a country which is a member of the court. And because Israel is not a member of the court, that does not apply. Option number two, if the perpetrator of the alleged offense is from a country which is not a member of the court, but has acceded to the court's jurisdiction for that specific incident. Again, okay. Israel hasn't, so that does not apply. Okay? mm mm-hmm. Option three is if the alleged offense occurred within the territory of a member of the court. Mm -hmm. And option four, if the alleged offense occurred in the territory of a country which is not a member of the court, but which has acceded to the court's jurisdiction. Now, this is where this becomes interesting. In other words, the court has jurisdiction in accordance with its rules over incidents occurring in the territory of member states or exceeding states, even if the perpetrator isn't a member. And that is where things become complicated because the Palestinians were advised about 15 years ago, actually by the prosecutor of the court, that they should seek to become a non-member acceding entity to the court. And thus everything which happens within so-called Palestinian territory put forward within the court's jurisdiction. That is exactly what they did. They followed Mm -hmm. the advice they were given, Mm -hmm. at the end of which, the court prosecution reached the conclusion that they have jurisdiction because the alleged actions perpetrated by Israel took place within Palestinian territory. Now, you can argue whether or not the Palestinians are a state or not. And I have argued specifically on this point, including before the International Criminal Court, that they are not a state and therefore should not be accepted as having acceded to the court's jurisdiction. And I can tell you that this issue came before a panel of three judges in the International Criminal Court, and they ruled two to one that the court does have jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. So the bottom line is, I think, The two majority judges were voting politics and not law. The minority judge, by the way, Kovacs, gave an incredible explanation of the legal situation, which I think is 100% accurate. Mm -hmm. But the bottom line is that the court thinks it has jurisdiction. And the fact that I and others do not agree doesn't make much of a difference for the court. So because of that, there Mm -hmm. is a risk. And in fact, it's an ongoing risk because there is currently an ongoing investigation in the court against Uh Israel Uh for certain allegations. And there is a risk that this investigation or additional investigations will move forward. And that in turn could endanger Israeli politicians, Israeli generals, and potentially even Israeli soldiers, although to be fair, based on the past precedents of the court, They will probably only go after the big fish. Right. So prime ministers, ministers, and maybe generals and the equivalent, but they don't go after private sergeants and lieutenants. No one's interested. Okay. So that was a long answer to your short question. But the answer is, unfortunately, the way the ICC sees it, there is a risk of Israeli soldiers and officers and generals and, and politicians being prosecuted in the international community.
0: Are you concerned with what is going on in Israel? This is not just another crisis. This moment in history is considered by many to be the most critical and existential in Israel's 75-year history. State of Tel Aviv is committed to delivering superb and candid analysis, and we're offering a limited-time subscription special a 33% discount from the regular fee of $90 annually. One year for only $60. Stay informed and stay connected with State of Tel Aviv. We are a reader-supported enterprise. If you value our work, please subscribe. It makes a huge difference. StateofTelaviv.com, all one word. Now, back to the podcast. You can hear the car signal in the background. I interviewed Reisner on his way to pick up his son at soccer practice, just before his summer holiday. Wrangling time with Daniel Reisner should be an Olympic sport in and of itself. He's a whirling dervish in the best way, but was very accommodating on short notice to make time to discuss this matter with the state of Tel Aviv. And frankly, I'm surprised by how good the sound quality is for Bluetooth and the coronal. So we carry on. Now we get into some detail about actual cases where Israeli officials were and are targeted by the ICC. For those of you who may not recall, Sha'ul Mofaz, who we discuss in the next passage, served as IDF Chief of Staff from 1998 to 2002. This discussion only gets more interesting. Back to Daniel Reisner and the risk that the ICC poses to Israeli security, defense, and political big fish. It's certainly a risk that many Israelis have articulated and take quite seriously. You mentioned the fact that, you know, the likelihood, which is totally understandable, is that, you know, if the ICC was going to do this, they would go after the big fish. And I'm sure you recall a few years ago when Shaul Mofaz was on a plane to London and there was some kind of concern that he was going to be Arrested upon landing. No, there wasn't
1: that? a consent. There was an arrest warrant against Shalbou I remember the case very well. In fact, I handled it. And okay. I can tell you that Shalbou was on a plane to the UK to right. attend, I believe it was an event. Mm-hmm. And we were tipped off by the British authorities that a judge had issued an arrest warrant for him as a result of a complaint filed by a pro Palestinian lawyer. And mm-hmm. as a result of that, we, we everyone advised him not to be played. He stayed on the plane, and the plane flew back to Israel without wow. us ever stepping off. So, but that is not an isolated incident. We had quite a few of them in other jurisdictions as well. The good news is, Vivian, that the Palestinians tried to do this to us in numerous jurisdictions. Right. And because of the, I have to say, magnificent work of various quite capable lawyers in the Israeli government, we managed to quash the attempts every single time. And by the way, only after they realized that they wouldn't be able to beat us in national courts, did they try to move to the international criminal
0: court, which is where we are now. So based on everything that you said, you know, notwithstanding the fact that the ICC may be incorrect in assuming that it has jurisdiction, the fact is it does assume it has jurisdiction, right? Correct. What was the situation with Shaul Mafaz? Had there been an investigation? On what basis was no, the no, warrant no. issued? That
1: was, that was a complaint to a UK judge alleging that Charles Mufaz had committed violations of international law. Okay. And that judge, a relatively low-level judge, issued an arrest warrant wow. on that basis. So the lawyer identified the right judge for that order, if you understand what I mean.
0: Yeah, I hear you. So, I mean... In response to, you know, there are scholars and people of various political opinions who are saying that any concerns in this regard are, you know, poppycock, balderdash, there's nothing to them. What would your response that there's no, no IDF personnel present or past are vulnerable to be arrested and prosecuted in the ICC? What's your response? Unfortunately, they're wrong.
1: I wish they were right, because that would be a much better situation, but I've been doing this now for over 30 years, and I can tell you from personal experience, the risk is real, the intention is out there, and the potential for catastrophe is there. Now, we are taking steps, we have taken steps, and the government is continuing to take steps to try to minimize that risk, but anyone saying that there is
0: no legal risk is just plainly wrong. Daniel Reisler, always fascinating and wonderful to speak with you, hear your insights, and more importantly, your experience. It's one thing to know what it says in the book. It's another thing to have lived it in real life. You agree? Totally, thank you. And given the fact that you are cut on the same cloth, I understand. Thanks for listening. I expect you found Daniel Reisner's crisp and clear analysis not only compelling, but also deeply concerning. In the real world, this concern is very real and very well-founded. It would be great if you would like and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Check us out at stateoftelaviv.com on Substack, where you will have access to our full library of content for a limited time only. We are truly independent, we don't just say it, meaning that you will be exposed to views from across the political spectrum at stateoftelaviv.com. Me, I'm all over the place, but generally a solid centrist. State of Tel Aviv is supported by its listeners and readers. Please consider becoming a paid subscriber Each member makes a huge difference. I'm Vivian Berkovich, signing off from deep inside the state of Tel Aviv.